0: The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. All those sounds you can hear in the background, fireworks going off and so on, is to celebrate that this is episode 300. So welcome along to episode 300 (laughs) of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Wow, I feel honoured. Well, thank you for coming on. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Mark Shaw,
1: and I'm Fred Russo.
0: Well, thanks, guys, for uh, for joining this uh, this exciting episode. Um, Mark, maybe you can fill listeners in on uh, where you fit into the world of uh,
2: technology here. Yeah, uh, thanks, Paul. So um, I work for uh, I work for Semantic and by association, Norton one of our uh, one of our consumer or uh, well, our consumer brand. So, of course, Symantec and Norton are all about keeping people safe online and keeping businesses safe while they go about their business online. And uh, I'm a technology strategist for them, uh, based in Melbourne, but I'm a Kiwi. I moved there just over a year ago. So uh, it's good to be here.
0: Great. And Fred?
1: Yeah, I am a public relations guy. I work at a place called Botica Butler Rowden PR, BBR, um, and I predominantly handle technology clients. So um, I've, uh, you'll, you'll hear throughout the show um, the, the names of quite a few companies I have either in the past looked after or am currently looking after. So um, I, I guess uh, hashtag um, views are my own. Um, just get that out of the way now. Uh, but, but yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be adding my thoughts on um, how things should be going along those PR lines
0: yeah yeah no that 's good and i uh, will be interested to also get your thoughts around uh we 're going to talk about samsung and um some of the challenges oh, with their, with their note seven It must have been quite a challenging one for them to handle from a public relations uh perspective, so uh, we might get your uh, your thoughts on how how those sorts of things actually get handled oh we 're starting right there huh but we 'll we'll come back to that but um let's let 's start off by Jumping in and having a chat around GST being added to uh, online subscriptions and so on. Now we've known this was was coming, and in fact, to a degree, it was it was triggered and by the sort of competition that we've seen between Netflix and our our local services like uh, like Lightbox and Neon and uh, Quickflix, who uh, being being local services have had to charge uh, GST. And they're trying to compete with uh, with Netflix and and you know varying other uh, online things. So uh, NBR put an article online uh, in the in the uh, in the last few days talking about this and how Adobe, Microsoft, and Google have indicated uh, price rises uh, coming from uh, from first of October as GST needs to be added on to these uh, subscriptions being uh, being brought from international sort of sources, I suppose. What's your thoughts on this, uh, Fred? Um,
1: a, a delightful read, indeed. <laughs> um, and, and also uh, in the article saying, iTunes will follow with Netflix to raise its pricing too. Um, I, I think it's it's one of those situations where Oh God! You know everyone should be paying their fair share. Absolutely, the only problem that comes into it in my head is is when I have to pay my fair share too. <laughs> I mean, no one likes paying GST, but I mean, it, it needs to happen. I understand it. Do I want to pay more? No, but doesn't need to happen. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm in agreement here. Yeah. Yep. Mark? Yeah,
2: it's a little bit of a a conundrum, isn't it? It's the old, a little bit of a grey line, what what do you charge GST on and what don't you? I I think uh, the debate raged going back a year, a little bit longer around uh, GST on imported items and uh, uh, items under $400 or thereabouts, and uh, so policing that was always going to be challenging. It's... uh, uh, you know, when this when I read about this uh, relatively recently, it's certainly news to me and, and an interesting avenue. I think, look, if they can police it effectively, um, then then great. To. Uh uh, fred's point you know no one likes paying gst but but the reality is uh if it does create a level playing field for the new zealand uh, retailers uh, and they feel like they're um on par then you know it's probably not a bad thing when people buy
0: uh things like the norton products on online do you know off the top of your head whether there's um you know gst and those things if they're uh, if they're bought through these sort of channels because that might might fall in you know might impact you in some way i'm just thinking you know microsoft they've got a local presence here but there have been some of their services that you would you would buy maybe with credit card it's a sort of international type of transaction maybe charged in new zealand dollars but there wasn't gst on them uh before but going forward there there will be um so that you guys might fall into that category as well for some things.
2: Yeah, we may do. Uh, I actually don't. I yeah. don't know whether GST is charged on uh, direct subscriptions of, of Norton products, but uh, you know we have a, a pretty healthy channel over here. Uh, obviously, there's a there's a You know, they they need to be paying their the piece of GST. And uh, but yeah, as far as online subscriptions, I'll have to come back to you on that one.
0: Yeah. No, I was just, <laughs> just curious if you knew, but you know, I'll I guess my I guess this this rule will it's going to apply across the board, isn't it? And we we will start seeing a few a few increases no doubt
1: it, it makes me wonder now now I, I guess i should say you probably haven't figured it out but but i am american and most of the companies we're looking at and you look at all the list here google apple netflix it's it's all american companies and yeah uh, sorry i lost where i was going with that
0: Well, there's been some... uh, I mean, if we look back at... And we didn't discuss this last week because I think the news sort of just broke just after we'd recorded the episode. But, you know, the big thing last week was around Apple getting uh, pinged by the European uh, Union and uh, ultimately... Uh, I think we heard fairly quickly that uh, the EU going after Apple for uh, $19 billion in, uh, in taxes and so on. So that there's um, all sorts of mechanisms that uh, happen internationally in terms of where tax is collected. Rightly or wrongly,
1: what's there, what's not—it's quite interesting. And that's and that's actually exactly where I was going. Sorry, I lost my train of thought a second ago. Um, but the fact is, it's it's easy to get the low-hanging fruit. You, yeah. you know where the bigs are. You know where the big pockets are, and you can go after that a heck of a lot easier than smaller retailers. So, so enforcement, which Mark said a minute ago, how how is that going to come into play across the board, and and is it even achievable? Yeah, well, there are some lines in terms
0: of who has to charge these. Uh, Charge the GST. So uh-huh. if you're uh, if you're a smaller entity and you're you know you do and I can't remember what the figure is now. I know we've discussed it on uh, at least one previous episode, but there is a, a, a level of, of transactions that uh, you know value that you have to be doing before you need to actually uh, jump through these hoops. So creative you know, they, bookkeeping. They, they, goes they're, go, they're going over. after the, uh, the the bigger guys here. So uh, yeah. Um, now the, yesterday I saw um, I saw a communication about Skinny Mobile, uh, and there are a couple of interesting things on, on that announcement, uh, One Now, Skinny is what is called a MVNO, Mobile Virtual Network Operator, um, which basically means that they're a, it's a mobile network without actually their own network. They basically use a Spark network who actually conveniently own them as well. Uh, but they 've been at, you know the lower cost uh, prepay uh, carrier uh, targeting I, I guess it would be fair to say that uh, two degrees mobile is who uh, is the is the player that uh, Spark have not wanted to uh, lose too many customers to, so they set up Skinny as a as a competitive um, offering. Now they wouldn't say it quite like that, but that, fair call regardless. I think I think that that's um, yeah, that would it'd be a, probably a, a fair uh, yeah. approach. Um, and they've actually done uh, done reasonably well they announced yesterday they've got 200,000 uh, customers uh, now so that's a um, yeah it's you know it's it's pretty big number for a uh, you know a virtual network uh, operator um, and they also as well as that they announced that they're launching something called uh, skinny direct which it is launching with just two plans, and what it is, it's um, it's a variation on the Skinny model that brings uh, even more competitive pricing in. But the the difference is, is that it's it's purely an online play. So when you sign up with Skinny Direct. Uh, you don't get access to being able to call them for uh, for technical support and and you know assistance over the phone, uh, but the prices are very competitive. So uh, the two prices they're published thirty dollars per month uh, per month gives somebody a SIM card, which will give them unlimited texts and minutes New Zealand only, which is a little bit of a variation to the um, I think the standard skinny minutes, which cover Australia as well. Um, so there's a little bit of variation there and three gigabytes worth of um, of mobile uh, data and for50 dollars that uh, doubles the uh, the data up to um, up to six gigabytes so yeah probably a couple of gotchas there and that it, it is only those uh, New Zealand um, texts and and minutes but uh, I think it's the first time we've seen an unlimited uh, calling plan um, for that sort of uh, that sort of Price with uh, with a good block of uh, of data. I think this is going to sort of stir things up a bit in the market, isn't it?
1: It's it's sharp pricing. I, I mean, and especially if you're like me and you move from Wi-Fi Pod to Wi-Fi Pod, I mean, three to six gigs, thirty or fifty bucks. That's that's looking sharp,
0: mm. Mark. In the Australian market, how how competitive are things ac- across there? Uh, at the moment, I mean, they've have been varying uh, challenges that uh, the the networks have, uh, have had. Telstra had uh, had a few dramas uh, this year in particular, and uh, you know they've come back cap in hand with their customers saying, "Well, we'll give you a free you know free data days and so on." Uh, Vodafone had their issues and basically had to uh, virtually rebuild their their entire network to uh, to bring things up to scratch and uh, you know merge with some of their c- competitors. Um, does this sound like a, a good, you know, price? Even in if it were to be in the Australian market, it does seem a bit more competitive over there?
2: Yeah, well, you'd think it'd be a bit more competitive over there. But I've got to say, uh, my my view on on the Australian market as far as mobile plans and pricing is that uh, they're lagging, they're, they're lagging behind. I you know I was quite surprised really at uh, uh, how lacking in competitiveness the market was when I went over to look for personal plans for myself my wife uh, before I. I picked up my business plan there. I was was surprised they they weren't anywhere near as competitive as what was being offered here in New Zealand. Mm. Uh, And uh, nothing's more frustrated. I won't say what provider I'm uh, I'm with through my company plan. But, uh, you know, when you're traveling from Australia to New Zealand and still being charged $3 per megabyte for data, uh, 75 cents for a text, uh, you know clearly there 's some catching up for those guys to do, and uh, pretty uh, pretty disappointed i 've got to say but uh, yeah look I, the, the skinny direct plan just coming back to this looks uh, it looks sharp to me um, <laughs> on the side, perhaps uh, the fact that you're not uh, you 're not picking up a new phone with these plans, so you have to bring your old phone with it. Uh, maybe we'll see people try and eke out a little bit more life out of their phone rather than uh, filling landfills, uh, which uh, is an interesting, uh, interesting angle. That might be attractive to some parts of the population. So, uh, mm, uh, mm. like what I'm seeing.
0: Yeah. Now, I notice if you want to, uh, if you do want your calls to Australia, you pay nine dollars for an add-on, and uh, the, this is actually this is interesting. It says you can buy, and I don't know if this is a mistake on their website because. What I read out before was their plan is for a month. Now, this is different to skinny plans in the past, which have always been for a 30-day period, not, a, not, a, uh, not necessarily a full month. Uh, but when we go into the international add ons, it's referring to paying $9 for 30 days worth of uh, access to call Australia within your plan. And that gives you a total of 120 minutes. So it's not, it's not even unlimited calling uh, to Australia, which I thought was curious. So I guess these are some of the fish hooks when you get these uh, different, uh, different plans that you've got mm. to uh, consider. Also, in terms of roaming options, you know, those things tend to be a little, bit, uh, a little bit different from carrier to carrier as well. So I've just picked, for example, Australia because it's a common place to roam to. Uh, what they're offering is you can buy 300 uh, megs with Skinny Direct of um, data as an add-on, cost you $10 and that's valid for, uh, for seven days, 500 megs valid for seven days is $15 and then they've got some other little bundles like 100 megs, 20 minutes worth of calls, 10 texts, $5 and it's only valid for one one day, so you'd be sort of basically paying five dollars a day, or another variation which is um, um, half a gig worth of data, hundred minutes, fifty texts,
2: uh, twenty five dollars valid for uh, for a week. That is great. Uh, that is some fantastic add-ons. I've got to say, that, to me that that's super attractive. To it's me, better, that, better than better than what you're obviously uh, getting on your on your you know, Australian it's, it's provider no, no when comparison. you come to New Zealand. It's no comparison. Yeah,
1: yeah. For the last ten years, every year I read the same story. Somebody comes back from Europe or Australia, or whatever, and they get the bill and the bill is three and a half thousand dollars and they get into a stooge with the uh, whatever telco it is. It gets spilled out into the paper and ultimately the telco says, "Ah, oh, well, you don't have to pay the whole thing or whatever. But the fact is, is I, I think we're beyond trying to blame the telco when there are options out there and it looks like people are being a heck of a lot more upfront with the options and the fact that these look so good, that's appealing to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so things are stirring up uh, a little bit there. Now, the interesting thing was, and I t- tweeted about this when it came out yesterday, you know, how is this going to uh, to, to impact the market? Because it did seem uh, very competitive, but obviously you've got to compare those things like if you're used to being able to call or text Australia, that, that that's you know, not uh, included. And, um, well, Spark only waited well less than twenty four hours actually because they, they, they sent me the uh, the details uh, yes yesterday to start sharing the details of uh, of new plans for for you know sparks i guess normal customers shall we say under the spark brand and they 've uh, basically uh, refreshed their their main sort of you know, monthly plans for consumers starting at the thirty nine ninety nine uh, price point, and then also their uh, their business plans. And at that base, well, it's not a base price because there are lower uh, lower types of plans available. But at that, the thirty nine ninety nine a um, a month plan, they've made two changes. They've added in Spotify uh, Premium and Lightbox uh, at that at that price point. So those are just sort of bundled in for uh, uh, for free. And they've, they've also added Lightbox across the other plans. Um, the bit that stood out for me is they now have a, a $100 or ninety nine ninety nine dollars plan, which includes 15 gigabytes worth of uh, data, in addition to the unlimited uh, New Zealand and Australia calls and, and texts and uh, Spotify Premium, the gig of Wi-Fi a day that you, you get across all of those plans, and um, and Lightbox. That strikes me as, as pretty good for anyone that uh, would would need to uh, bump up their uh, their data to a, a higher higher level. Fred, would you be able to use 15 uh, gigabytes a month? Would that suit your usage, or are you usually close enough to Wi-Fi and, and uh, other things that wouldn't fit with your profile?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, I, I would never use 15 gigs. It, that'd be hard for me to do, but it, lo- it looks like the commuter plan. Like If you're going to sit on a bus or train, Every day for an hour. This is the plan for you. <laughs> I mean, that's where you look at the content options.
0: Sitting you, watching you,
1: videos while you're, uh, yeah, while yeah, you're being probably should be working. But you know, pull some up on Lightbox.
0: Mark, are you seeing um, this as uh, as attractive?
2: Yeah, I am. I in fact, when I uh, just before I left New Zealand, uh, eighteen months ago or so, I was on a fifteen gigabyte plan with a, with one of the providers, um, paid for through the company. So it wasn't as attractive as ninety nine ninety nine and uh i've got to say i used probably all of that 15 gig every month uh but that was by virtue of the fact that my home broadband was so horrendously slow right right Uh, and uh and now the listeners are probably thinking well he was probably stuck in the back blocks of uh uh you know i don't know south south of the bombays (laughs) maybe i don't know no (laughs) not at all but uh but no the reality is i i I, in a house uh, in in the suburbs of of auckland and um you know, I was getting uh, through one infrastructure provider around six megabits per second and through another around three. Uh, so uh, the reality is if I needed to do anything uh, online that required any kind of streaming, uh, I was on my phone yeah, and tethering that uh, from other devices. So uh, easy, 15 gig, no trouble
0: yeah yeah so they 've also made changes across some of their uh, their business uh plans so they 've got a, a plan that comes in uh at fifty five dollars eighty five for uh, for business users which uh in the past provided two and a half gigs worth of data they've bumped that up to uh, to four their five gigabyte plan has been bumped up to uh, to seven and a half uh, gigabytes um so there's a, there's definitely a few uh, a few changes in there um the other thing is they're um and they've done done similar changes across their uh, business uh sharer plans and the the curious thing in there that yes they've added uh, they've added data in but uh, what they've done is dramatically reduced the price to have a um a data a SIM card that's just got data on it. So those, I think, were around thirteen dollars. Now they're uh, they're around seven dollars a month. So it's not quite half the price, but it's uh, it's a it's a sort of enough of a reduction i can imagine oh, for that price i might as well just grab a, a sim to use for data drop in a tablet or a laptop or a, some other uh spare device becomes uh, becomes pretty handy i mean i know for me i usually carry around uh, a, you know a couple of couple of handsets and you know usually those have got a full plan on them but uh, being able to just you know seven dollars drop a sim card in a in another device if you're sharing the data it's sort of at that price it's sort of why not so uh, no doubt we will uh we will see some uh, future announcements from uh, from Vodafone and uh, and two degrees I I imagine uh but it seems to me that uh, you know Spark are doing a a pretty good job here in terms of um staying competitive they're not sort of uh, sitting back and uh, you know, hoping customers will will stay with them because they're the uh, the telco that's been around the longest or anything. They uh, seem to be you know putting in an effort to uh, to deliver some some pretty good options and uh, you know pretty reasonable pricing.
1: That's certainly been my experience. We we're actually the the business that I work at um, are switching over right now, and we've we've switched to Spark. We're in the process of that right now. And one of the main things that they did was show up with real human beings and explain things to us, and that that's not it's not a service that actually comes that often when you're dealing with technology. So we were really pleased with that and we were happy to make the switch and, and hopefully it all goes smoothly. If you're listening, it better go smoothly. <laughs> anyway. I think the,
2: uh, the, the telecoms market, and the mobile market here, it certainly reflects what we see with, with a lot of other markets, information security, the same as well. You know, I think to a certain extent, some companies have managed to, um, live on their reputation on, on the legacy and maybe charge a bit of a premium for that. But in today's world, that's that's not a luxury that you have, right? Your customers uh, can very easily move from um, from provider to provider, from carrier to carrier, and from one InfoSec company to another InfoSec company. So you really need to be on your game. You need to be competitive, offering what your what your members want. So yeah. we're seeing that as well in Australia. I've, I've got to say, you know, even as recently as you know when I was checking up plans last year, that the primary provider Telstra over there did get away with charging a premium, all right? So Optus comes in at a, at a lower price um and and more data more minutes uh but this year there's been some significant changes to some of those plans and there's been a leveling and uh, i think telstra again as you mentioned before paul has been in uh, in the news a little bit in terms of network reliability and so on and they're working hard to, to, to fix that but uh but um but yeah their, their plans are starting to reflect the, the leveling that's
1: needed to uh recognize that this is somewhat commoditized yeah p r guy says reputation is fleeting and um when <laughs> when everyone has so much access to information you you need to trade on your reputation and 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 the price point begins to matter so much more mm. and, uh, and, and i think that 's definitely what you 're seeing with these plans mm.
0: Now one thing we mentioned around those uh, new Spark uh, plans consumer plans now that they're bundling in uh, Lightbox um, you know I'm I'm curious what the impact of this will be it certainly helps uh, Lightbox get a bigger surface area, a bigger customer uh, base and you know really Spark needs to work pretty pretty hard at that to make it uh, it worth their while to have Lightbox the I think that you know when we when we did a uh, Um, A non-scientific survey a little while ago, Um, all indications were, um, until a certain point in my uh, Twitter survey, um, when things uh, turned, um, I I think maybe one or two people within Spark may have uh, shared it around, Um, but all indications were that uh, Netflix holds sort of, you know, at least eighty percent of the uh, the the market for uh, for streaming services. What, what's
1: Lightbox again? And um,
0: so, uh, so 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 uh, so you know Lightbox and and uh, you know Sky's Neon service and uh, uh, you know Quickflix are really quite a quite a small uh, you know small percentage. Um, you know Lightbox being the the biggest and most successful of them in terms of uh, usage, uh, but of course they're they're really having to sort of give it away, bundle it. Uh, to to get that user base up. And I guess they, they're just going to have to keep uh, keep pushing down that track if they uh, yeah, want to have a, a reasonable market share. Now, what the long-term picture is from there is, you know, do they make money out of it being this, this add-on that's included with things? Can they flick the switch to getting people to pay for it? I mean, if people really rely on it, then I guess you could do that at uh, at some point. But I think at this stage there's probably very very few people that are actually paying anything uh, anything for it so um yes it's a it's it's an interesting investment for them
1: it's it's like i told my daughter if you give it away for free. They don't respect it. You know? Like, yeah. uh, what was the context of that conversation? Uh, it, was, it was a bit different. I mean, she's five. But um, the fact of the matter is, um, you know, she, she likes bringing toys to school. And I said, you can't, you know, the kids are going to run away with your toys if you keep bringing them. But that, that was the true context. It probably yeah. sounded a little bit different to you gentlemen in the room. No, um, okay, but, but the fact of the matter is, when, when it comes to Lightbox, they, if you train people not to pay for it, flipping the switch the other way gets really hard mm. hard getting around that
0: well you know i think if if people come to rely on it and it's and it's really good and they're using it you know really regularly you wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to lose it. But uh, it is. It's, it's very hard to change something from free to uh, uh, to a paid product. Um, the other uh, news we heard is the um, the chief executive at Lightbox, uh, Kim uh, Nyblock, has uh, resigned, and uh, I think she's going to be uh, she's going to be finishing up um, towards the uh, the end of uh, of the year. So yeah, that may be completely unrelated and uh, and mean nothing. But uh, I imagine this is a. Is a a pretty challenging space for them to uh, to be in up against netflix i've been i i yeah i i wouldn't want to be uh, in that uh, in that fight
2: no it's a dangerous battle to be in i think uh you know netflix clearly uh, very focused on investment in and around uh content creation uh, that gives them all sorts of significant advantages and uh, lots of great series coming out and then of course there's the uh uh, the discussion around peak TV in America, where, where we're reaching this point of TV saturation with a number of miniseries and so on coming through. I've got to say, I'm not too familiar with White Box and the content they're delivering through there, but I hear you, Paul. This is, uh, this is a tough one for these guys to try and uh, make headway in this particular market when you've got these uh, behemoths coming in.
0: Yeah. Um, so, this week, also, in terms of um, things worth, worth mentioning, uh, iPhone we're uh, that's just a, just about to land basically and uh, i would I would pack that most of the leaks online have um, probably given a, a reasonably good view of what to uh, what to expect with uh, with the iPhone seven presuming that's that 's what it 's called, and uh, you know sometimes the names get uh, predicted and then they, uh, they they come out slightly different but there's certainly uh, a bunch of uh, a bunch of photos online it seems to be pretty clear that the um, uh, the larger one, we we'll maybe call it the um, the seven uh, plus. will have uh, you know dual cameras and uh, potentially a, a zoom capability uh, through from that perspective. Uh, getting getting rid of the uh, headphone jack seems to uh, <sighs> that seems to be the big seem, one. Seems oh, yeah. seems to be the. Uh, uh, the track, so that uh, saves a little bit of uh, little bit of space internally. Um, I haven't seen clarification. Something that was mentioned uh, a little while ago is that the um, that there might be a sort of a force uh, touch with the uh, the home button, so it might not physically move, although it might give a um, you know feedback to, so it feels as though it uh, it is. So you've got less uh, less moving parts there. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, likely we'll, we will, and and all reports suggest um, you know some improvements in terms of performance, definitely improvements around uh, uh, you know camera and uh, and other things, and of course it's uh, it's likely to be launching in line with um, uh, new iOS uh, 10, which I've been uh, running on uh, uh, iPhone uh, 6s here for a while, and uh, and seems to be pretty good, got to say. That's so, good. yeah, you guys got any interest in, uh, in new iPhones? What, uh, what devices do you use? Fred, what are you using at the moment? Huawei? I'm,
1: yeah, I am. I'm, I'm still on last year's P8, but it's a good phone. It does what I need it to do, so I'm not, not too concerned with that, and, and I don't necessarily need to throw in for um, looking great at cafes with Apple. But the fact of the matter is I still think Apple makes a great product. Um, and no doubt when they do come up with their announcement, there will be a flurry of media attention um, that always accompanies an Apple launch. I, I also believe we're in the time of incremental upgrades. Uh, I mean, getting rid of the headphone jack, I think, is probably the biggest thing that's happening here. The rest of it is, you know, you, you put a faster processor in it, you put in better memory, you sharpen up the price point. But but for the most part, you still got an iPhone in your hand. Um, will I buy one? Maybe. I don't know. I'll have a look. but. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to see something big that I don't know about. Um, and, if, and if they do deliver on that, I'll be damn excited.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? They're, I completely agree. The last few years really have been incremental, with the exception perhaps of the the 6, with which drastically changed the form factor of the iPhone. That said, I think a lot of the speculation is uh, you know, today, the headphone port going, and if it's being replaced with an adapter, I can probably deal with that. But uh, I was a bit concerned when I initially heard that was happening. Uh, but uh further speculation is that of course the iPhone next year is where they do the uh, the big changes right so that 's the what is the tenth year anniversary, and uh, the expectation is that 's when that 's when all the magic 's going to happen so uh, maybe we 've got to hold on for one more year to see the the magic that you 're looking for there, Fred. I'll wait. Could,
0: that could be costly to uh, to, to Apple, but uh, I mean it, it is hard to be more than incremental in terms of updates, isn't it? Now, because you know, we've got designs that you know across most of the top uh, the top phones look yeah you know, look pretty sharp. Certainly, uh, you know I think what Samsung and, and Apple and and lots of other manufacturers are doing is. is is making phones that that look good so you know the new redesign isn't something that we need as much the cameras have got to a a reasonable point I think there's there's certainly a way a way to go there uh, in terms of matching up to what a digital SLR can do and there's obviously physical and technical limitations of how you achieve that in a very uh, small device but the idea of adding you know secondary cameras in that's part of the picture to uh, to somehow uh, achieving something that previously might have been impossible uh, within, the, within the smaller form factor. Uh, so that's, that's all good stuff.
2: Yeah, and look, I, I think, um, you know, if I think about my feeling towards the, the announcements each year, I'm always a little bit underwhelmed. And, and I think, uh, I don't know if that's a general consensus or not in terms of what's being released. And I sort of think, oh, well, that's never going to really gain traction, right? That's, that's not going to be a big hit. And yet, sure enough, when they ship, you've got lines out the door, down the street, around the corner, everyone wants to get a hold of this, this, this iPhone. So, uh, you know, they'll do it again. Uh, and and I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure it'll be popular. Uh, the question is where they can maintain the, uh, the trend that they've
1: managed for the last few years. Having looked at a few brands and, and seen, seen what that traction manifests as, um, you know, I've, I've seen some of the data. And it's, it's fashion, it, it is the decision to buy a smartphone aligns so closely with the same decision-making process as you would put into buying a new pair of jeans. Mm. Um, the, the actual technology hardware is becoming less important. And what people care about is how can I use this to share and how good will I look holding it? And if you've got a great camera and a slick looking product, you're going to get those lines. So if you can deliver along a couple of really key points these days, you can gain traction. And then the rest is just shaping that perception. And, and that's, again, I, I guess getting to a little bit of the PR angle that I specialize in. But the fact of the matter is, is um, if you can gain that perception and the traction and hit the fashion angle big. That smartphone will move. It hurts to acknowledge that, but you're
2: right. <laughs> it hurts, but it's true.
0: Now, uh, looking at those same points again, and then adding in some some uh, some extra information, let's look at Samsung's Galaxy Note Seven. Now, stunning product. Uh, you know, re- just really stood out as a as a great product coming through from. Uh, from samsung you know taking the best of the the s7 the s7 edge you know adding in a slightly bigger uh display and the stylus and the uh the retina scanner and so on it's just you know really really nice device It, it really stood out to me and then uh Come late last week, we start hearing this news that uh, hey, these things seem to be uh, melting down, exploding. Other sorts of uh, comments around uh, battery flaws, and so I gave um, gave Samsung's local uh, public relations person a, a call. It was actually on holiday, but nice enough to uh, answer the answer the call. But uh, yeah. Didn't didn't get uh, an immediate sort of uh, full response, but the picture uh, became fairly clear soon after uh, that. Samsung would basically be recalling uh, all of the Galaxy S7s. I think they're talking around two and a half uh, million handsets now. There's talk of it costing them you know uh, in the direction of a billion uh, US dollars. Just sounds like an absolute uh, shambles for them, and it's uh, it's rather rather sad really for you know both people that were lined up had either bought one already or were, were hoping to get one soon and uh, so on and you've got to think what's going to happen to these million handsets are they going to end up in landfill can they repair them um, This, you know that's it's kind of worrying Fred what's your thoughts around yeah. you know from a, pu- <laughs> a, a public relations perspective I mean this is what, partly why public relations people exist uh, is to uh, uh, to be able to
1: number one help in these situations what what would you do disclaimer i did used to work at samsung as their pr manager um number two i hope you treated that lovely samsung pr lady quite nicely paul because she's a wonderful person
0: i I was i was very nice i thanked her for taking my call on a friday night and uh, told her to get back to having her holidays yes
1: And, and then number three then would be the fact is um, w- my time there showed me a couple of very key things. They are a very intelligent company that make exceptionally good devices. Now, obviously, they're not bulletproof. I mean, we they, they do have a very big issue right now. Um, but uh, in that thought-making process, it, it's all—it's it, hard being in New Zealand. Because you're not always going to be given all the information. A lot of that's held at the top. And and you're lucky if you actually get access to all of it. However... You can't expect them to take a very interesting approach to this problem. Number one is going to be safety. It's got to be safe. If people are being injured by a product, that, that is a major exposure. It's a major vulnerability, and obviously, you're going to recall every device. It's you know just as dangerous uh, um, for, for a car company if their cars are careening off the road. If people are being injured, that's the number one priority. At the same time, like I said, there's an enormous amount of intelligent people inside that that global corporation – They will figure out the best way to take those phones and whether the most cost-effective solution is going to be to repair them to bend them and start over they'll they'll find a way to make good on it and i'm quite confident in that yeah i mean my-
0: fixing two and a half million fines might be something that that's actually just impossible to you know to do from a practical perspective right the number's just so big that you know there's a pretty
1: high chance that they just actually have to start again it it looks daunting <laughs> and, and it does look um nigh on impossible for them to to completely recover from this um but at the same time um you, you know i If it happened to another company, let's pretend like it happened to Apple. What do you think Apple would do? They they do everything they absolutely could to to, uh, achieve a solution that works out for all of their consumers around the world. And I expect Samsung to to go down that same path. I don't know how they're going to do it. I can't really give them any suggestions on how to do it. It's way above my pay grade. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is, is I do think they'll come up with something.
0: Yeah, I'm curious about discussions that will be going on amongst uh, amongst their com- competitors at the uh, at the moment because it's definitely a. It's you know it's quite a. Quite a big setback, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and now's that that occasional time when, when there will be some brand that puts out just an off-color tweet or or, or a post and, <laughs> and you know they're capitalizing on someone else's misery and there's there's a certain amount of hubris when that happens that just kind of it doesn't feel right. And 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 that other brand I think will actually suffer because of it. Um, but that 's uh, it likely won 't happen in New Zealand, but it, it may in another region we 'll we'll see we 'll mm, see
0: <laughs> mm. yes not a not an ideal uh, situation um, what, what uh, one of the reports i 've i 've seen says the um, the floor in the battery cell basically resulted in negative and positive um, electrodes coming together, which is uh, is is kind of not good, so you can understand why that might cause a meltdown or a fire or something it 's um, Yeah,
2: it's not ideal. And I I think uh, PR disasters are are, are best averted or or minimized uh, by speed of response and transparency of the provider. I think if you go back a few years, you almost felt like you could get away with some things, right? And, oh, no one's going to notice. But frankly, today, uh, you just can't get away with something like that, especially in the consumer world. Uh, I suppose the only plus side for Samsung is, of course, that um, Chinese... The Chinese uh, market wasn't impacted by this for whatever reason. They used different batteries in those phones, um, so there's a silver lining.
0: Yes, well, um, yeah, I'm sure they uh, they're appreciative of uh, of that. Um, it's interesting actually because it you know this is Samsung because Samsung have also had issues uh, certainly in New Zealand with uh, with washing machines that have uh, caught fire as well. So not um, it's not a nice. Position to be in, we've sort of got you know multiple things that have been uh, somewhat somewhat dangerous. Um, now moving on to uh, to other topics, um, Mark. Today Norton is well, it's tomorrow actually. It'll be when people are listening to the uh, the podcast. we we'll were recording this sort of slightly ahead, um, but um, overnight, you Norton is is uh, launching a, a or sharing a new uh, report. Where you've done a a survey of how many five hundred about five hundred uh, people in New Zealand? That's right. Um, give give us a rundown on um, on what this is about, and I guess it's a, it's a report around online uh, harassment. Uh, it's focused on New Zealand men. I know you've done uh, other surveys uh, in the past, um, but what are the what are the big sort of you know highlights you think people will be interested in because there are there are a whole lot of stats that you've shared and uh, you know some some of them are quite uh, are quite quite interesting some of them probably less surprising than uh, than others but um well, you know what stands out for for you from uh, from this report and from the the survey
2: yeah well uh, you know some people sort of say well what's what's this got to do with Norton online harassment and uh, you know when we think about Norton first of all it's you know, how do we protect our uh, customers online, and uh, so you know, part of that's technology, and, and that's a different conversation for another day, uh, but part of it is driving awareness around um, you know, how people can stay safe online when they're going about their personal lives or doing business, and what we realized is in the, in the areas of online harassment, there wasn't a lot of research, uh, and especially research that was pertinent or relevant to New Zealand and specifically to males, and we actually did a similar survey for females about uh, six weeks ago. And so naturally, there's, you know, as we're going through and talking to, to media and others, uh, there was naturally a comparison wanting to be made there. But in short, what we found with the online harassment survey across these uh, New Zealand men was that um, there was very high incidence of men that had experienced some form of online harassment. I think around uh, 60% or 58% to be very um, accurate, I suppose, had had some form of online harassment incident take place. Uh, and we actually broke that down across different age groups. So if you look at um, the 18 to 30-year-olds, uh, around 72% of those had some form of online harassment. Uh, minority groups, uh, even higher again, so those members of the um, uh, GBT community, so the gay, bisexual, transsexual community, uh, were targeted. Around four out of five of those individuals had, been, um, had some form of online harassment. So overall, we saw... You know, just a lot of incidents instances taking place. Now, uh, the other thing that came out of the survey, I suppose, is the way that men react to those online. Uh, you know, how do they feel about that? A lot of them try and sort of sweep it under the under the carpet and sort of say, "Hey, she'll be right, mate, and, you know, no, no big deal." But I think which is re- probably quite a good uh, good response, isn't it? Yeah, like bottling up stuff is is always uh, good, right? I <laughs> agree um, I'm not <laughs> yeah. saying,
0: but, yeah, but but I guess ignoring it. Shall we say? Yeah you're, yeah,
2: you're right. So, 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 some chose to ignore it and and uh, you know, defriend or, or block and, and so on. But there's no getting away from the fact that there were uh, still a significant proportion of men that were impacted uh, emotionally. Uh, we saw statistics right. come out of this around uh, even links back to suicide and depression, which we know is a big problem here in New Zealand. Uh, and uh, thankfully, there's been growing awareness in those spaces. So, online harassment for me is really. You know, it is a it is a link through to the likes of depression, suicide and other types of emotional you know, sort of feelings off the back of it. But it's also an area which really is starting to accelerate and become more and more of a problem as years go by. And, uh, you know, the idea here is to drive awareness of, of this problem so that you know, people can understand what it's about and what they need to do to protect themselves online. Um, I, I think of it like depression. You know, for many, for many years, uh, this was swept under the covers. You know, we didn't want to talk about it. It wasn't something that was real. It was just, well, you're just feeling a bit down and just pick yourself up kind of thing yeah sort yourself out mate. yeah new zealand guys it's what we do right i say hey, no big deal and um but the reality is quite quite different and uh you know i think we've we're talking about especially in young men 16 deaths per one hundred thousand attributed to suicide uh, that's uh two and a half times larger than uh what we see with women so there is a problem there and, and there's absolutely evidence to suggest just like in the real world or the physical world that online harassment does lead to those kinds of feelings
0: yeah and I guess that's um that's something that we need to need to do something about but uh, actually you know seeing seeing some of these numbers seeing some of the uh, the realities around it is uh is is helpful I guess in bringing that uh, that visibility to the to the problems solving them I guess may be uh maybe somewhat uh, somewhat harder but uh you know, at least it gets some discussion started and, get, and gets people sort of thinking uh thinking around how we can uh, how we can improve the situation
2: yeah and I, th- I think the government's come some way to to help on that front, they've recognised the issue there. Uh, they've obviously released the Harmful Digital Communications Bill last year. We've seen um, over 40 prosecutions around that. You know, it goes back to the Roastbusters incident, which really drove a lot of that change. But um, uh, you know, it's not just governments; it's also website owners taking accountability, providing the necessary controls, responding well to reports of abuse and, and harassment uh and uh you know we've got a little way to go on that front as well you know some of the big social media platforms facebook um, instagram snapchat and the others uh, they're good at developing functionality and bringing in new members but there's often a the second thought about well how do we make sure this is a safe and secure environment for our for our members and and that's an area that really needs to accelerate
0: yeah i see um nine percent of uh, both males and females um, in the eighteen I guess this is eighteen plus isn 't it this um, survey reported online harassment you know if they did have some online harassment then they reported those to uh, to the police is that number is that number appropriate I guess it depends on on what level of harassment it is whether it should be reported but what's the benefit of people reporting it to the police if the police can't do anything about it? Which seems to be, in you know, a lot of cases, people think, well, well, what would what would come of reporting it to the police? They're they're busy. What can they do?
2: Yeah, well, that's a that's an interesting angle. Um, I, I don't know that the police aren't doing anything about it. I haven't personally reported anything to the police, so I, I, I guess I can't comment on that that kind of statement. But what I would say uh, is, I, I was listening uh, um, to a uh, one of the one of the heads of uh, Queensland Police uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, we were specifically talking about cybercrime, and he was—he was speaking. He since moved on a few weeks ago, but he was in the police for many, many years. And he said, um, "You know, they were talking about the difficulties of tracking down offenders of cybercrime and so on. And, and essentially, what he said was, um, reporting is absolutely paramount, and it's paramount because if you think about how policing uh, is resourced." You know, how's it resourced? And he asked the question in the audience and I kind of thought to myself, oh, well, you know, it depends on what political party's in power and how much mm. money you know, how's the economy doing? And he said, he said it's a resource based on statistics. So given this is an emerging problem, the viewpoint of, well, the police aren't going to do anything about it, I think, might may or may not be fair, but nevertheless, uh, regardless of what happens and what the outcome is, we need to be reporting it so that we can get visibility, so that we can get resources uh, allocated from a police perspective, and and that's just the way the system works.
0: Yeah, that actually makes make some sense, doesn't it? Because you know, often we hear those statistics reported, and yeah, mainstream media reports of there's this many violent incidents, there's you know this and that uh, in terms of uh, situations, and. Um, you know, ultimately, even even if it is influenced politically, then uh, you know politicians, uh, you know, very much uh, you know look at uh, uh, at these things as well and uh, what public responses are. So uh, you know, if more and more gets reported, then they kind of have to uh, invest uh, more into uh, um, investigating these things.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, I'd also imagine is. is the, the The flock of digital natives out there that have grown up sharing everything ultimately take power and start you know looking after us as we grow old um, it'll change it 's got to change the times will change um, but yeah uh, as far as any of the numbers in this report are concerned it 's one of those shocking not shocking situations so i can't see it not changing as time moves on and the police taking a, a closer look at it. it It just seems like a natural step to me
0: mm mm-hmm. yeah I mean, there's, there's some pretty interesting numbers in uh, in this report looking at the, uh, the there 's a graph around emotional toll of online harassment um, the number of people that are not bothered by it twenty nine percent of males eighteen percent of females um, those that are amused uh 13 percent of males 11 uh, percent of uh, females but th- those are actually interesting you know they're quite low figures so what it what it leaves is there's a you know a whole lot more people that it um you know that it impacts pretty negatively in in some way whether they feel sort of violated and abused you know down to those um you know with suicidal uh, thoughts and so on so um yeah it's uh Certainly gives you a bit of uh, cause for for thought before uh, re- reacting uh, on online harassing people in the future when you realise what the impact is. I'm not suggesting that either of you, you know, are uh, a regular uh, online harassers or Herpet anything. Perpetrators of uh, online harassment, no. you know, um, But you know, we all tend to joke around to a degree, and I guess it, you know sometimes it's uh, you know it's hard to know where the, where those lines are, and it depends on the the environment you're in uh, fred we were, we were chatting earlier you sort of talked of, about uh yeah some of some of the comments and uh things that that uh go on i guess in the uh, online sort of gaming uh gaming community oh, yeah. um you know that that would uh you know a lot of that would uh, would potentially you know fall into this category but it, it's sort of somewhat expected within that world but you know you take that same stuff and put it onto facebook or uh uh, or Twitter, and uh, you know, with people that aren't prepared for it, and uh, might have a somewhat bigger, uh, bigger impact.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, and, and gaming is one of those incendiary areas where where the language can get, let's say, colorful, and, as well as I mean, in-game actions. I mean, some of the things you can do with characters can be um, pre- pretty inflammatory to the other person, which could lead to quite a lot of expletives followed by. Threats and you know, um, uh, what kind of, co- yeah. What kind of actions
2: uh, in game would you would you be referring
1: to? Um, right. the, the crouch function in in quite a few first person shooter games can be used um, rather disgracefully. So, <laughs> and and not not that I would ever do anything like that, particularly in Call of Duty if I was playing. But the fact of the matter, these things happen, and it, and it does. It does. It can set the world alight for some people, and the stream of abuse that can come through um, is is just absolutely normal. And but some some people maybe that aren't prepared for that that, that fall into that environment
0: as well. You know, um, you know whether whether it's youngsters that haven't been exposed to it and then are dropped into it. Um, you, know, that, you know that 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 I guess um, could be you know could be a form of um, online harassment that uh, you know creates some of these issues that we've been hearing about.
1: Absolutely, and 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 also you read in, in other games when things bad happen. Um, it's not always even contained to the gaming world. Sometimes people actually know each other in real life, and because you picked up that rare drop that you were not entitled to, someone's going to go over to your house. And there, and there have been some serious incidents that you can look up online of, of things turning into physical altercations and even, um, I, I think a couple of times, thanks to World of Warcraft, there was there was even murder involved. So, I mean... It, yeah, uh, online pretty shocking. can transition. And I think Mark mm. actually has mm. some statistics on that.
2: Well, I do, as it happens. And, uh, you know, and, and the, <laughs> nice segue, Fred. Uh, and, and oh, do is, you
0: do the PR on this brand, Fred? Of course I
2: Cats out of the bag. Uh, so, yeah, and, and you know, one, one of the things we found in the report was um, in roughly a third of incident uh, online harassment incidents, Uh, they weren't uh, solely uh, online right they actually spilled out into the uh, physical world and we kind of discussed or debated whether we call it the real world or the physical world real world uh, of course it's real whether it's virtual or physical these days but yeah it does it does fall out across the physical world as well and uh uh, and you know whether that's um, threats of physical violence online um, being reported to police, and, and in fact we saw twenty five percent of the time there was police involvement. So you know another example where that sort of uh, manifested itself in the physical world, however, had started online. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's um, that's a challenge.
0: Now on to uh, on to other other topics. Um, some pretty innovative technology announced at. Um, at IFA in uh, in Berlin, which is uh, one of the, the biggest of the uh, the annual sort of tech events around the world, the Lenovo's Yoga Book. Um, now, this looks pretty interesting, Fred. I think it's got uh, it's it's sort of creating a, a new uh, a new category of uh, of device. It seems to be inspired by. A product that Microsoft actually never released. Now, if I've got my memory correctly, it was called the Courier, uh, um, and it was um, there were some details of it uh, leaked, you know, quite, quite some years back, but they never uh, never came to uh, uh, to market with it. And it was sort of a a, a concept um, of a you know a, a book with sort of two, two screens or a laptop with uh, uh, with two screens that uh, you might open up uh, like a book. And what they've done with this uh, this yoga book is it does indeed have uh, have two two screens, um, but one of them basically transforms into uh, um, virtual keyboard and so on, um, and you can also do, uh, do do handwriting on it. Mark, what's your uh, what's your take on this? I mean, it, it's it's definitely different from anything else that uh, you know that, that's in the market, isn't it?
2: It seems to be. Uh, you know, I need to think of uh, the applications I would, uh, I would use. Uh, the thing that I, I like about the Yoga Book is it's, it's obviously pretty new and fresh and doing some, some pretty cool stuff there. But it's also uh, surprisingly affordable. Uh, you know, we're not breaking the bank here. We're talking about 500 US for Android and 550 US for, for Windows. So, um, so yeah, they're, they're certainly pricing it to, uh, to the masses. Yeah, look, I don't know. I'd love to have a play. Uh, I'm just trying to think, you know, where uh, – I guess having that second screen is quite nice. I mean, you know, I sit at my desk in, at, at, in the office, and uh, I've got a couple of screens off my laptop, and that's always advantageous, so uh, uh, nice and portable. You're talking
0: uh, – It's the, the display on it, I think 10-inch, uh, t- if I remember uh, correctly. Where were the yeah. notes on the, uh, <laughs> the display? So you know, as a smaller screen the um, the, the processing power isn 't uh, sort of top end it 's an, an atom uh, x five but mm-hmm. uh, you yeah, know, four gigabytes of uh, ram um, sixty four gigabytes of um, of solid state uh, storage, but by keeping those things down, yeah, it delivers a, a really affordable sort of product that you know I would imagine people would would have this in addition to their you know traditional uh, traditional laptop in a business environment, uh, but for some people this might be uh, you know might be fine say for student use and and home use as um, you know as a standalone uh, computer right
2: yeah and, and look that lower that lower performance or, or mid range performance let 's call it uh, does mean of course you do get good battery life out of it so uh, You know, that's uh, that's always a trade-off, performance and battery life. And uh, by by sort of hitting the middle of the the road there, you're going to get around a dozen hours of battery life they talk about. So... It's and, pretty impressive,
0: yeah. And interestingly, you get it with uh, with Windows Ten, mm-hmm. Android, and I think also Chrome OS is going to be uh, be, a, be available um, as well. So you know, you've got uh, you've got a few few options. But yeah, this this sort of book type device now a, a, a stylus which you can uh, you can basically uh, use on the second screen. I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, one of the uh, one of the photos of it. Well, that second screen um, lights up, so it looks like a keyboard and. And a trackpad. If you want to use it, just you know, sort of like a traditional uh, a traditional laptop. You can also you know flick the uh, flick that screen right back and uh, and use it like a tablet. Um, but but one of the images showed it with uh, basically uh, you know uh, paper over the uh, the second screen, and then basically you know scribbling on this paper, and then that getting uh, picked up. Uh, below so you really what you're scribbling on paper is being digitized at the same uh, same time so this is that is quite a, a new approach so that's the sort of uh, the key bit that we haven't really seen before isn't it it's quite cool
2: yeah a pen and stylus incorporated so it's it's actually real ink right that we're that you're dropping down on that uh, analog piece of paper yeah uh, which is uh, which is interesting so so what's the idea there I mean this is uh, I mean people like paper I like yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I
0: certainly like sort of you know scribbling on paper, and there, there's there's I don't know there's there's something about that feel of being able to just write on paper, and we you know we've got uh, you know very you know a, well, a lot closer to that feel in recent years with uh, with a stylus on the on the screen uh, of a, um, of a you know of some of the some of the tablets and uh, um, you know two in one type devices the likes of the Surface and the the iPad Pro, but actually scribbling straight onto normal paper and having that being digitized as well as on the paper mm. uh, i don't know there's there's something to be said for that i think i think that would be quite cool certainly i'm certainly looking forward to trying it out
1: yeah i'm looking at this and i'm thinking it, it looks cool and it's different we don't get a lot of different I, and i and i really like the fact that just just over the last few years you've seen a lot of detachables two and ones things that screen flips around 360 degrees people came to people keep throwing everything at the wall and we're seeing what sticks. And I and I would like to see how this one fares. Um that keyboard looks slick. The, how it backlights is fantastic.
0: Mm. And I want to play with one. And we've seen Wacom that have uh headed in a in a similar direction, understand using uh using some similar uh technology. Um and this is what uh they're calling a digital uh notepad. Um and you know which which is obviously an element of um um of the 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 yoga book um and this one uh yeah basically it's it's just that that digital notepad side of it so you can basically uh use their pen slash uh stylus on um On the device, real paper, and then it's getting uh, it's getting digitally uh, captured and and transferred back to say your uh, uh, your tablet or your or your smartphone. Um, And what's interesting is it's coming in at a pretty reasonable price, Uh, starting price of uh, for the a it's called the um, uh, bam they've got the A5 Bamboo Slate, hundred and thirty US dollars. And then uh stepping up to um hundred and fifty US for their A four slate. And then they've got um one the A four folio which is two hundred uh US dollars. And uh yeah, by the looks of this this will this will work tie in with things like uh, OneNote and uh and Evernote, which, you know, would be probably top of the list for people wanting to uh, um to you know, digitize things. But um boy, at that sort of price so I would uh definitely be lining up to try one of these out
1: it looks like a lot of fun i do you, mean
0: it, do you do a lot of paper paper notes or are you straight typing into a laptop anyway what's I guess it gets depends how you how you work in terms of whether this is gonna gonna get you interested isn't it
1: yeah and i and i go both ways on that one i mean I, I do love pen and paper i'm analog my father was a librarian so when it comes to hard copy i'm, I'm all about that but if if i'm on the phone or if i have access to the computer i need to be typing the notes into later anyway i'm just gonna live there so i mean i guess it, it comes down to what would i really do if i had a tablet and paper and which which choice do i make regardless again looks like a lot of fun and i, I want to play with one
0: mark is this uh is daniel area of interest
1: oh it's a it's a it's a difficult one for me i
2: i i take a lot of notes if i'm meeting with a customer or, or, mm. or, or in some kind of meeting there's a lot of notes that go down and and it's always a little bit awkward when you open up a laptop screen yes right and i try and put it on the side right? so you're not you know you don't have this barrier and they can kind of see you're not playing games or texting your mum and, and or whatever that happens to be right so uh, yeah for me i like the notion of handwriting but i've got to say i don't know what you guys like but I swear my speed to record through handwriting and the old analog mechanism that you talk about, Fred, has slowed down drastically. I do so much typing these days that I just don't have the dexterity and the speed. I'm showing my age now.
1: You're losing it, man. I know. <laughs> so
2: I just find it quite cumbersome going back to pen and paper. I just cannot get the kind of notes that I want to, that I want to gather. So uh, so that's me. Uh, would, would I buy it for, for note-taking? Probably not. But I can see why. Uh, in a uh, business context, it, it's certainly a lot more disarming sitting in front of someone where you've got a notepad and paper. And I think from a creative perspective, it's quite nice as well. You know, you can't quite explore the creative elements of what you're trying to get down uh, on a laptop, uh, whereas freehand uh, and having that digitised certainly, uh, certainly helps there.
0: Yeah, I'm um, because the, these products are you know they really cross over. The bit that I'm curious about is what would actually be more useful and i'm sort of leaning to maybe you know the wacom as a sort of small device is just dedicated for that rather than trying to be that plus also be a mm. uh, a laptop uh slash slash tablet is kind of my uh, my my thinking but uh, you know i uh, yeah i imagine there'll be there'll be a mix and some people maybe well i'll just keep that for the occasional use and yeah, I guess if you didn't, if you weren't using it a lot, yeah, then maybe having it integrated into something else is the is the, uh, the the right approach.
2: We all want we all want consolidation of devices ultimately, but the challenge you have with the Lenovo comparison is that it doesn't have the specs necessary to replace your laptop. That's it. Yeah, and there's your second device already. So then it's like, well, it's kind of trying to be and a it, bit it, of both and a touchscreen keyboard. Mm. is, I don't know, I'd love e- to try even it. if you
0: can get up to speed on it. There's still something nice about having a having a real uh, a real keyboard, but we've got used to it with our phones, haven't we? There was a time less. Blackberries and so on were you know you had your physical keyboards on your phone. Uh, there's not many of us left using uh, using those.
2: You do rely heavily on uh, autocorrect, and, and 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 that's actually something built into the the Lenovo keyboard is is ad, auto adaptation and learning uh, as you type uh, yeah, suggested words and, and, um, and so on. So, uh, so, so they've tried to account for that and tried to give it a, you know, a similar, I guess, to a, to a mobile phone, that similar kind of experience. But if it's me again, I like that tactile uh,
1: response. Yeah. I give me a, give me a keyboard mechanical heavy keys. I like telling feeling of that. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Maybe not old school, but I mean, you know, a nice gaming mechanical works for me. Um, But something where, yeah, you can feel the response coming through, and you know that you push that button. Um, And granted, yeah, I'm old enough and of a generation to have actually learned on things like typewriters when I was real young. So um, yeah, I I guess maybe that may be playing into it.
0: Um, now one uh, one last topic i'd like to have a quick chat about before we uh, before we finish up I know this is a longer episode than usual but hey it's our three hundredth episode so you know we're uh, we're allowed to have a um, uh, we're allowed to misbehave a little bit and uh, keep keep talking for a little while longer i I hope everyone will forgive us but I thought this was this is actually quite cool I met up with uh uh, thomas uh, brian who 's with the blind foundation he 's based in Wellington, um, but he dropped me a, a note a few weeks ago um, after I, he saw he saw me on TV chatting I think it was around the uh, the amazon uh, echo and uh, this was technology that uh, that interested him he 's blind and you know, pretty interested in assistive technologies um, and when we got together he, um, he mentioned to me. Around a rollout of um, of eye beacons or um, low power um, Bluetooth um, uh, devices that is going to be happening in Wellington. Now, this has since been made uh, public because I I agreed not to uh, discuss it initially, but uh, that info is is now public. And uh, basically, what uh, what they're working on doing in conjunction uh, with the Wellington City Council, and I think um, a couple of other partners, they've got uh, Radiola uh, Smart uh, Transit uh, and Blind Square as part of this, is um, basically by by putting out these um, uh, devices around the place. Uh, people will be able to walk down the street, and if there's a uh, an eye beacon on a store, for instance, as they as they walk in that direction, will be able to tell them what stores coming up. Uh, if they go into a store, it's going to be able to give them uh, directions on on how to get to the counter. Um, so, you know, if you're uh, if you're visually impaired or, or blind, um, this is going to be. Uh, you know pretty super helpful information and and particularly as we start seeing this sort of thing roll out inside so say shopping malls where uh, you know GPSs don't uh, don't tend to work uh, at all or or well depending on uh, you know their uh, their their makeup but particularly for fully uh, fully you know covered malls um, and we discussed sort of some of the other possibilities, you know, putting these things on on buses. So you know, somebody standing at a bus stop and uh, you know their phone's able to maybe tell them as a bus pulls up, look, this is the number, you know, two four four bus to Trentham or wherever the, the bus is going to. You know, there's some uh, there's some pretty cool possibilities with that. Now, I guess this is only one you know one part of the puzzle. Um, the blind square uh, app is another part of that, but there'll be lots more that's that's coming down this track, but it does seem as though we're uh, we're certainly moving uh, towards a, a world where uh, you know being vision impaired is going to have uh, um, is going to limit people less and less
2: completely i look i i think' it's, uh, I think that's a, a great thing um, you know iBeacon as a technology is uh, obviously a few years old now and we haven 't seen a significant iBeacon deployment in this part of the world and i think the u.s has uh, has seen a few and around shopping malls and has always been associated with retail and so on i think one of the challenges that iBeacon needs to needs to um address is um is perception of you know what the iBeacon technology is about uh you know the uh, it is actually a myth you know iBeacon is not tracking you uh you know it's not actually a receiver it's a sender and uh and, you know, you had a lot of people up in arms about the fact that, oh, well, I don't want to be tracked as I walk around, and that's not fair. It's, you know, it's the old, um, the old saying that the beacons don't track people, apps do. And uh, the reality is that for you to use the services of iBeacon and these proximity-based services, you need an application that supports that. So the concept being I walk into a countdown or a, a new world, and I've got their application open, and depending on where I go, that's kind of the retail thing, right? It'll give special offers and so on. So um so that would be the first thing for me when when they're looking at this deployment in Wellington is really just trying to change that perception because there is that perception out there.
0: Yeah, um with with this one too I guess I what I would hope is that uh, this will uh, this will sort of inspire a bit more of it because we haven't seen much of it in New Zealand. I think there have been uh, there have been a few other uh, there have been a few other uh, deployments. I think um, CQ Hotel in uh, in Wellington has also sort of you know rolled out some eye beacons and you know we've got a few other situations. But yeah, not a lot. And um, you know something of this sort of scale hopefully can can inspire a, a, a bit more of it. The other aspect is the cost of this stuff is it's pretty low now, isn't it? I mean these uh, these beacons, I think you know if you're buying them them on mass, they're uh, I don't know probably you know I don't know ten dollars a piece or, or something. With uh, you know they need a they need some battery in there, but they use blow, blue, blue, low power uh, you know Bluetooth, so um, so they last for quite a long time. And maybe in the future we'll see. Um, uh, this sort of technology, you know, built into uh, to other other devices, so that uh, you know it gets even easier to implement. You maybe don't don't even have to charge batteries.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, Bluetooth LE. Uh, I think the development of that as a as a standard and, and is, is really helped significantly with some of these applications. Um, you know, I see it in my world, in the semantic world, we do a lot around um authentication and uh you know just releasing proximity-based authentication you right? know so you have a soft token on your phone and you pair that with your pc at home you walk up to your pc and boom it unlocks uh you know without you having to do anything right so it becomes your strong authenticator but, but proximity-based uh applications are, are everywhere and i love the fact that that uh, that it's being used for something like um for blind people and and uh you know others with uh, impairments
1: yeah, I, it looks wonderful to me and I've got a soft spot for, for vision impaired and blind people just because I've had a few in my family. And, and the fact that they're removing barriers to entry looks great. I mean participation was free for retailers and businesses that wanted to get involved. And, and I think that's that's something you have to do to encourage pickup because especially for small businesses, it's, it's, it's not easy being out there and, and paying for extra technology um, is, is always going to be a, a big ask. So um, the fact that they are making it accessible and making it so, like Mark was saying, they're changing the perception around it. So beyond making it accessible, they're making it look like something good, needed, and, and a project that anyone can get behind. And I think that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, the other thing I like with uh, the Blind Foundation, I do a bit of work with the Blind Foundation, um, but with the Blind Foundation and the council uh, involved in this, um, it means it's not... Uh, necessarily up to the retailers because some retailers might, you know, if you just gave them out and they were free to the retailer, I imagine there'd be there'd be a reasonable proportion of the retailers that just might not get around to uh, configuring them and uh, you know giving them the, the useful data. So um, you know, by having the blind foundation, the council involved in this, then you know they can make sure that all the key information is um, you know is is set up so that uh, um, you've actually got a, a successful result and then hopefully that will, will inspire some more adoption. Absolutely. All right, well, um, well that's us for this week. So uh, thank you, everybody, for, uh, for listening in. Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, are you on any uh, social media or uh, what, what do you suggest?
2: I suggest flicking me an email would be, again, old school. I won't, uh, you know, yeah, I am on Twitter at um, at, uh, MS1974. It doesn't get a lot of love, though, I've got to say, my my Twitter (laughs) account. But, uh, you know, they can email me on mark underscore Shaw at semantic.com and uh, more than happy to answer any queries that come my way.
0: That's good. That's good. And Fred? Fred?
1: Predominantly on Twitter. And yeah, if if you like the ramblings of a guy who loses his train of thought every now and then, um, and and also rants about political things happening in America, by all means, follow at Circus Fred. Excellent. Um, That's where I live.
0: Thanks, thanks, Fred. Uh, and you can track me down at, uh, at Paul Spain or facebook.com slash, slash Paul Spain where you yeah, get a, f- a few updates on uh, things that are going on and occasional live uh, video streams and bits and pieces. But that's it for us this week. So thanks again for, uh, for listening in, and we'll be back next week with um, a whole bunch of new stuff and, and episode 301. All right, see ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast.